How are you guys tonight? Good. Good. Um, well, we'll just go anyway. I'll talk loud. I don't know if I'm on the mic, but that's okay. Um, turn to Second Peter chapter one, where we're going to be tonight. <coughs> and before we get started, there we go. Let's pray again, if you would. Father God, we just thank you for this body of believers here in Beulah, Lord. We just thank you for the work you're doing in our church, Lord, for the, the leading in our lives. We pray for Jackie and Kathy as they're gone, Lord. We just pray you'd bless them and restore them. Um, give them energy, Lord, for the work you have set before them. We just pray for our service tonight, Lord, that you would be here, that you would speak to each of us, Lord. We just pray that you would, that your spirit would be here, that I would speak your words, Lord, that you would just speak through me, Lord, and that we would be changed people by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1. Um, what I want to talk about tonight is principles to abundant or fruitful life. Um, and I called it a recipe for success, but I don't know if recipe is really the right way to see it because a recipe tends to be something, you know, if you take these 10 things and therefore it's going to turn out a certain way. And, you know, I don't know that the Christian life works that way. So maybe the more appropriate way to call it would be ingredients for a successful life. The things that we're going to look at in Second Peter, um, we need to look at our lives and say, are those ingredients that are seen in our lives? And if they're not, then, you know, is there something that we need to change in our lives? Um, you know, recipe or ingredients are very intentional. You know, you don't randomly put ingredients if you're trying to get a certain thing to turn out. Um, we do a lot of things in life with a lot of very... Um, intentional thought. You know, we choose our clothes a certain way, we raise our kids, we do a certain job, whatever we do, it's very intentional. And I don't think our life in Christ should be any different. We should be very intentional about the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we put into our minds. Um, you know, while if we're on the subject of a recipe, you know, you think about a cinnamon roll or a steak or coffee or whatever your, your uh, enjoyable thing might be. Are you going to make a cinnamon roll with curdled rotten milk? You know, you're not going to do it. It's going to turn out bad, right? Or are you going to buy a cow and feed it moldy grass? You know, or you're not going to do that. Or are you going to order, pull up to the coffee shop and say, uh, I want a double tall, half-calf, skinny, rotten milk latte. You know, that's, you don't do that. Nobody lives that way. And why, why should we expect our spiritual lives to be any better? Um, what do we put into our lives to get the results that God wants from us. You know, if we're feeding those things into our body, there's going to be a result, and it's pretty obvious what it is. A lot of you know my mom recently um, had a clostridium infection, and it was affecting everything in her, in her system, and so she had to be really careful with what she ate, and she still now, even months later, has to be careful with what she eat. And it really is a picture of, like I say, the things that we put into our body and how careful we have to be. She has to be really careful with the types of food she eats until her body gets normalized. So let's look at verse 10 and 11 here before we go through the whole thing. Second <clears throat> Peter 1.10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. 
For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So I love the term abundantly supplied to you. You know, if our entrance into the kingdom of God is going to be abundantly supplied, isn't that what we want? You know, do we want to barely make it in to the kingdom of God or do we want to abundantly make it in? Let's uh, read verse 4 too, and then we'll go through the whole thing. For by these he has granted us, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So as we become partakers of the divine nature, you know that that divine nature in us is going to be like that sweet aroma of a cinnamon roll or rib steak or a perfectly brewed cup of coffee, you know, whatever your thing is. Those things coming out in our life are going to be um, wonderfully smelling. As we stop being conformed to the world and start being transformed by Jesus, a life of spiritual success is going to be the best smelling thing to us. Um, I want to read a proverb here real quick. Proverbs 2, you don't have to turn there. Proverbs 2.10 says, For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We're going to talk about knowledge in 2 Peter 1, and that you know, as we mature, that knowledge that God gives us is going to be pleasant to our soul. The world hears God's knowledge, and it's not pleasant to them. But as we mature, that's going to be one of the things that we're going to see in our life. So before we start on Peter, a little background on Peter. Um, as you remember, the name... Peter was given to him by Jesus, and it means rock. And it's significant to note that Peter wasn't given that name in a time when he was being a rock, when he was steady and uh, shining God's light. He was still wavering, and there was still much wavering that he would do. He would still, later after being named that, deny Jesus, violently deny him. He cursed. And I think that gives us hope that you know God doesn't see us he sees us as we are, but He knows what we can be. You know, you've heard it said, God loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. And some of the things that Peter puts forward here in, in 2 Peter 1 might seem a little tall, but God knows what He can do, and He sees what we're going to be, and uh, He can do that work in us. So let's start in verse 1. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of, as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So as we see in a lot of the books of the New Testament, the author starts by giving a little background on who he is, or you might say what authority um, that he is bringing the message to these people. Um, you know, Peter says he's a bondservant is the first thing he says, and also an apostle of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think in the same way, anytime any of us bring a message, whether it's me or um, Jackie and Fritz, you know, we come as apostles, not in the sense, of course, that they were one of the chosen 12, but apostle, the meaning of the word is one sent or one sent with a message. And hopefully, if we're up here talking to you, we've been sent with a message that God has given us. Um, but more importantly, as Peter started with, a bondservant of Christ. And that's really how I 
how I think we should come across is that, you know, we're, we're servants of God. We're not, not only that, but we're bond servants. A bond servant was a slave that had fulfilled his duty to his master, but looked at his life with that master and knew what I'm getting from my master is better than what I can get outside. So I'm going to stay with this master and what he gives me, even though I'm serving him, is the best thing that I can have. And that's really what we are with Christ. You know, there's a lot of things out there in the world, but serving God is the best thing for us. You know, that is true freedom. And the world might see it as there's no freedom, you have to follow rules, but we don't see it as rules. You know, we know that the true freedom is in Christ. <clears throat> Jackie has shared his dog on a leash illustration. I don't know if you remember, but I think that fits that too, that he, I think he was saying that it went that he had a dog that he'd take it out and it would run all over crazy and so finally he just stopped taking it with him because you know he's like I can't control it and that you know in their mind that dog might have thought I'm free I can do whatever I want but that supposed freedom led to that dog not being free he couldn't even go with him and he said he had another dog he could put on a leash he would stay right there and the dog learned to stay by him and obey him and that is true freedom and I think that's what um, as we see this list of recipes or, or ingredients, um, those are things that are going to bring freedom in our lives, even though to the world they might think those are going to restrict us. So in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Um, a common greeting, grace and peace. You know, this is a good reminder of the unmerited favor that we receive from God. Um, peace is always followed. You know, it goes grace, then peace. You know, without God's grace and His work that He did for us, we'll never know true peace. And notice here, too, what, what multiplies that grace and peace, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The Greek word here is epigenosis, um, and it doesn't speak of a knowledge, you know, as we often think of knowledge. You might say, you know, I know that the ceiling is brown, or I know that Barack Obama is the president. Um, yeah, we know those things, but this, I think it's a lot more deeper and intentional, full knowledge. You know, you might say, um, you know, in my job we put fires out, right? And we have a saying um, in terms of how to put the fire out, you put the wet stuff on the red stuff, right? And everyone's like, yeah, I know how to put a fire out. Well, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. We don't just pull up and spray water all over, you know? And it's the same with you guys. You guys in your different jobs and hobbies, you know, you know, some of you guys do mechanical work or different things, and I can say, I know how to fix a car, right? I mean, you take it apart, and you fix it, and you put the right parts in there, and you put it back together. But I don't really know, you know, like you guys know. I don't know the things that you guys know. And I think that's more with the knowledge that they're talking about here, an intimate working knowledge of how things work. And, you know, just the same way, a baby Christian or a hard-hearted non-believer knows that Jesus is the Christ and that they, and they really know that he has the answers for life. But don't we as believers really know what that means? You know, as we grow, we learn to know what, ans what the answers that God has and how that's going to affect us. So let's go on, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So we see in these things that the 
that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. And that amazes me. You know, everything we need for life and godliness, we have in the divine power. And I would say, you know, the divine power, that's the Holy Spirit in us. You know, we have everything we need. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel so lacking for the things that, that happen in our life. You know, you think, how? I just don't have the strength to do this. But, you know, we need to rest on the promises of God. He's telling us, his divine power has granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have the tools that we need. You know, we don't need more books or more programs or anything. I mean, God can use those tools, but the power comes from God and He's given those things to us. And again, it says that that will be granted through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You know, I think it's a lot like knowing your spouse you know, the way that we know God, you know, um, our relationship with God is often compared to a marriage. And when you meet your spouse, you know, when you start dating, you know them a little bit, you know, and you might say, you know them the same way that I know a lot of you. I know your name and I know a little bit about you, but you don't really know them like you know them now, right? Or the way you know your kids, you know, and it, and it doesn't just happen without intentional thought. You know, we you give up your time because you want to spend time with your spouse. You, you think about them. You remember to buy an anniversary card. or you, and you do all those things that you need to do because you love them and you want to know them. It's the same way with God. You know, if we want to know Him, that knowledge isn't just going to come by flipping on the TV and watching a football game. You know, we, we have to have things in our life that are going to fill us with His knowledge. So verse 4, by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. And the ones that really, this really stuck out to me, partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. Um, you know, why do you think promises are important? I, uh, I love the song that they did for VBS this week. Um, I don't know what the title of it was, but I, the main words were, I am who the great I am says I am. I thought that was a great message for our kids to hear. Um, a couple of the titles that it, or the promises that it said in there um, it said that I am his greatest creation. I'm remarkably and wonderfully made. I'm made in his image. I am one of his children. I am his friend. You know, those are the kind of things that we need to fill our mind with. You know, to the, to the person who feels that I'm just not good enough, you know, look at me, all this stuff. You know, do we remember that we are his greatest creation? You know, the creator of the whole universe says, I am God's greatest creation. You are God's greatest creation. Greatest creation. You know, we are remarkably and wonderfully made. You know, the world has lots of negative to say about everything, but God is saying, you are wonderful, and I want to do great work into you. Um, we're made in his image, and we're one of his children and his friend. You know, if, if you could say, you know, a lot of people like to drop names, you know, I know the governor, I know the president, I'm his friend, you know, that's great, so what? I know the creator of the universe, you know, I mean, we forget how amazing that is that we are, God calls us his friend, you know, the one that controls everything, you know, that we have a lot of hope in that promise and that knowing and remembering those things. And to be partakers of the divine nature, that to me is amazing too. You know, it's amazing that God would see me and see 
a measly little human and say, I want my nature to be in him. I want to be part of him. Um, you know, the, we see that concept throughout the Bible um, and other places too about being partakers of the divine nature. I'm going to turn to Colossians 2.16. Actually, I'll just read the two verses. Or, yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Hebrew 12.10 says we share in His holiness. To share in God's holiness and to have the mind of Christ, you know, these are things that give us power in life. You know, the, the, again, the world has a lot of programs and you know, Oprah's going to tell you something and Dr. Phil's going to tell you something, but you know, the things that are going to help us is pointing our heart to God's knowledge and to knowing Him. Um, Again, if we know, if we want to know our spouse, we spend time with them. You know, it's very intentional. So let's get into the actual ingredients. You might say, I'm going to start in verse five here when I get back there. So verse five. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So again, here, here's the list that we're going to talk about tonight. You know, maybe not so much a recipe, but ingredients of what should be seen in our lives as maturing Christians. A lot of people throw the word around, especially in our country, Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm, he's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're all Christians, right? Because I believe in God, whatever that means. But, you know, really the meaning of the word Christian is Christ-like. And to me, that really changes the way we throw around the word. If, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, that's kind of a big statement I'm saying. I'm Christ-like. And when that term was first used in Acts, it wasn't something that the people said, hey, I'm a Christian, it's something that other people said about the Christians. They said, hey, they're Christians. They're Christ-like. They remind me of that guy, Jesus. And I don't know. I, I think that should be our goal. It isn't to call me something and put a term on myself, but I want other people to see me and say, he is Christ-like. And that's a tall order, but again, God's divine nature can be in us. It's not me doing that. It's God in me. So... We'll get to the start the list here. Diligence. It says, for this reason, apply all diligence. You know, as, as being partakers of the divine nature, what do we do with it? Do we go waste time now that we have this knowledge? Or do we persevere and are we diligent about the things that God calls us to? Webster <laughs> defines diligence as a persevering application. So if you think of persevering application or being diligent, you know, how diligent are we in working or in trying to provide money for our homes? You know, we're very diligent because we have bills. You know, and you have to pay your bills. You have to have a place to live or a car to drive or whatever you spend your money on or food to eat, right? We're very diligent in that. And that's what he's saying here. We need to be diligent the same way with the things of God. The second is faith. Applying all diligence in your faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. This faith is the foundation of our relationship with Jesus. We have assurance 
and the hope of heaven and a better life to come. But it's not just for that. We believe that God tells us what he tells us about us, even though we can't see it for the life that we have to live here. So we'll go on to virtue or moral excellence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. Let's turn to Romans 1. And this is kind of a picture of the lack of moral excellence. I'll start at uh, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So that tells us that when men reject the truth of God that is clearly seen, you know, that that puts everybody quiet who says, you know, well, God hasn't revealed himself. But he tells us there that, that the truths of God are clearly seen. But when you reject that, they go down a road of degrading passions. This is the opposite of what happens to us as believers. Our faith leads us to a life of virtue and honor and a life that honors God. And again, it's not us. It's God's divine power in us that will accomplish this. The next one is knowledge. In Second Peter again. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. <clears throat> the word here is gnosis, which is kind of a less intense version of epigenosis that we saw earlier. This knowledge, I would say, is knowledge as we seek it. You know, things that we seek to know in reading or in study or in prayer or in seeking answers from fellow believers if, if we have a situation in our life that we need help with. Um, you know, seeking to know the truths that God has set before us. You know, this knowledge isn't about us. It's all about Jesus. It's not about filling our heads with the thoughts of men, you know, reading a commentary or different things. And those, those are great. You know, they're tools. But it's all about Jesus, and it's all about the true knowledge of God. Colossians 2.3 tells us that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. You know, they don't mean hidden like something that we can't see. It's hidden in the sense of previously unknown. So all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. And again, a great promise for us to remember that when we need to know things, when we need answers for life, Christ is the place to look. So going on to self-control. In your knowledge, self-control. You know, we often think self-control when you say the word, you probably think of, you know, this is something that now I have to do. I have self-control. I just need to try a little bit harder and, and I can do it. But again, only in God's power, only in the power of the Holy Spirit will we have self-control. Will we be able to look at things in our lives and say, I know I'm not supposed to do that. So by God's power, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek Him for strength not to do that. It's not about... Okay, now God's given me power and I can just go off and do this on my own. It's, it's still His power, but we need to have self-control for the things that we have in our lives. In your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. 
And there's, here's where a lot of times it gets pretty hard. Um, God's Word tells us over and over that we need to persevere, that we need endurance. Um, let's turn to Luke 21.17. <clears throat> and it says, and starting in 17, And you will be hated by all on account of my name, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. So, by endurance we will gain our lives. You know, this, this is the assurance and the, the promise that God is giving us, that if we endure to the end, you know, you hear that in Revelation and other places, he who endures to the end, you know, we need to endure. It's not an easy road that God's setting before us, but again, through his power and his Holy Spirit, when we endure, that's what's going to gain us success. So in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Clearly, again, the only thing that we can, the only thing that can accomplish godliness in our lives is the Holy Spirit. You know, the more we seek God, the more He's going to shine in us, and that godliness will come through in our lives. In your godliness, brotherly kindness, <clears throat> brotherly kindness. The word there is Philadelphia. You know, we're probably familiar with that. Sometimes it's translated love. But that brotherly kindness is, I equated to the, an eagerness that we have to spend time with each other, you know. And I, I feel that in this body, and I hope you guys too, do too, you know, that I love being with you guys, you know. There's, we all have a lot of great friends here. That brotherly kindness is that feeling that, man, I really like those people. I want to be around them. And we need to do that more and more, you know, that more opportunities we have to spend time with each other, to, to hear the work that God's doing in each other's lives, you know, there's a lot of power in that. You know, and that is still kind of based on a reciprocal relationship. You know, the, the, the meaning of the word Philadelphia. It's a love that we have because of what we get from each other. But that's okay. You know, that's the way God put it before us here. Um, let's turn to Romans 12. <clears throat> Starting in verse 9. And this, this is kind of a list too. It's pretty similar to what we're reading in Second Peter. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So in verse 10, there is the main part of that. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, we need to be devoted to that brotherly love that we have for each other and to, like say, to the fellowship of each other. Like they're saying, diligence to seek God, but we need to be diligent in being part of the body and lifting each other up. So the next one after brotherly kindness is love. And the, the word love there is agape. You know, and this is, 
if God is love, this is going to be the ultimate, the supreme manifestation of, of Him in our lives, is that we have that true agape love for other people, that it's not based on what I get, but it's when we choose to love in a way that is not about what I get, it's because you deserve love as God's creation, and that's what I'm going to do as a child of God, is to love you and to show a person love. Um, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I have not love, I am nothing. You know, this, like I say, that is the supreme manifestation of God in our lives, is to have that love. So verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think it's important to note, Peter says to them, these things need to be ours and increasing. You know, it's not like I said, it's not just a recipe that, okay, I'm going to take over the, all those things. I'm, I showed love once today, and I, I had self-control, and I didn't eat the whole apple pie. I just ate half of it, so I can check that off the list. You know, it's not really working that way. He's saying these things need to be ours and increasing. It's not a check-off list. It's an honest look at what God's doing in our lives. Um, you know, you've heard it said God doesn't have grandchildren, right? Because those truths and the work in God needs to be ours. It's not because my wife has that belief or my parents have that belief or I know this, my really close friends are Christian and he's really tight with God, so I'm going to get in. These need to be ours and increasing. Um, again, like I said, God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And it says having these qualities, you know, we need to be diligent in seeking God. When that diligence, it will, will, will use us, leave us useful and fruitful for Him. So let's go on to verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. So here's the other side. You know, Peter's saying those things need to be ours and increasing but if we don't have those things, you know, we're blind and short-sighted. Have we forgot the blood was shed for us? You know, Jesus died a bloody death. And the God of the, the world came down in human form and, and was obedient and was beaten by men. At any moment, he could have snapped his fingers as, as God and changed all of that. But... You know, he didn't. You've heard the, the saying, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You know, we need to not be blind and short-sighted and remember the price that was paid for us. God didn't love us and send his son for us so we could be lazy and come to church and then go about whatever we do during the week. You know, that, a great price was paid for us, and we need to, to treasure that and to be very diligent in the things that we do. Titus 2.14 tells us that Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify a people for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So let me read that again. Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us for every lawless deed and purify a people for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for, for good deeds. That's Titus 2.14 again. So Again, there's the picture of what we'd see as in a maturing Christian, zealous for good, good deeds. As we see those ingredients in our lives, 
Again, it's not a checkoff list. We're going to want those things. We're going to want to do good things because we have that divine nature in us. You know, I love that term, zealous for good deeds, because it, you know, if we look at our lives and say, what am I zealous for? If you're zealous for something, other people are going to know it. You know, it's not something that you claim, like, like I said with the word Christian, being a Christian. People who know you know what you're zealous for. They know what you like to spend your time with. You know, we all know people who are, you know, sports fanatics or race car drivers or whatever they are, and that's, that's what they eat, drink, sleep, everything. That's all of what their life is about. And I think Peter's calling us here, calling the people he's writing to, saying, you know, that's what we, our lives as Christians should look like. People should be able to look at our lives and say, you know, they're zealous for God, you know. And I know we haven't arrived, you know, we're all working on that, but I think that's what, what God has for us. So, verse 10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So like we read before and like we keep seeing, be diligent. He called us and chose us while we were yet sinners. You know, Romans 5.8 says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we do those things, when we practice, it says we will not stumble. And I think that's amazing to me about His calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So again, checking a list off and putting ingredients in a recipe isn't practice. That's just once. You know, it's not about just doing it once. It's about practicing things. You know, we've all had things we had to practice, whether it's our math or whether it's sports, or whether it's something in our job, you practice them. You do it over and over, and you think about it, and then you read about it, and you go do it. And sometimes you go do it, and you lose. I, uh, I went to a really small school, so I was able to play some sports in high school. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm much of an athlete, but we lost, I think we won one game my senior year of basketball. It was horrible. We did a lot of practicing, but not much winning. But, you know, it's not that way with God. You know, we'll practice and we actually get better. That's probably what we didn't have in that team. We practiced a lot, but I don't know how much we ever got better. But, you know, that's not what God has for us. We practice and we have His power and we will get better. So what's the outcome of knowing God and living for Him? Our entrance into heaven will be abundantly supplied. You know, again, that sounds like something I want. You know, we don't want to just get in by the skin of our teeth. You know, when we, when we think about the hopes that we have for ourselves or for our kids or for our loved ones, you know, I don't want my daughter just to barely know Jesus someday. I hope she just barely gets into heaven. You know, we all have great hopes. We really want them to know. And it's, again, this should be the same in our lives. You know, we don't set out you know, when we're young, saying, I hope I get a mediocre job that I kind of like, and two days a week I like it, but the rest of the time I'm just not going to like it. You know, that's not what any of us seek for, right? We all want things that please us. And again, these ingredients, those are the things that we're seeking, and we want to aspire to greatness. And God's going to give us the power to do that. So, so now we have the list, we have the ingredients. You know, what do we do now? We have the tools. Um, 
that we may not be useless or unfruitful. Peter goes on to remind them so we can have the, the ingredients memorized. You know, I know that this, the things I'm talking about isn't anything you guys haven't heard before, right? And, you know, my, some might say, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I know. I know I'm supposed to be good. I'm not supposed to watch bad things or smoke, chew, or date, date women who do, right? That's the saying. But, you know, we need, to, we need to be reminded of these things, and that's okay. We need to hear it again. So let's go to verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. So, you know, we should always be ready to remind each other of these things. You know, we should have godliness in our mind. And, you know, this is just one list in the Bible. You know, we read Romans and, and there's other things that the Bible sets out before us that should characterize what a believer's life looks like. We need to be ready to remind each other of this and in love to say to a person, you know, I don't know if I saw self-control in you that, you know, do you need some prayer? You know, it's, it's not about being a sin sniffer and pointing out everybody else and you're wrong and look how good I am. You know, it's not about that. It's about raising, that's what that brotherly kindness is. You know, we need to encourage one another and uh, to build each other up. In verse 15, he says, I will be diligent that any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. So most commentators think that Peter was writing this probably from prison and that he was soon to be crucified or killed, or at least he thought so. You know, he says that that's what, in verse 14, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me that his earthly dwelling, that the laying aside of his earthly dwelling is imminent. So even as Peter is probably in prison writing this, soon to be murdered for Jesus, you know, he's not in there writing letters, woe is me, pray for me, I'm about to die for Jesus, you know, I'm a martyr and I'm so great. He's exhorting his loved ones in Christ to to live a life that's pleasing to God. You know, I think that's what a great example that of not being focused on himself and being diligent to the end to the work that God has called him to to building up of Christians. So verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance was such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Peter's reminding him, you know, he didn't come with clever stories or programs or, you know, they came in the power of the things that they saw in their own lives, and that's going to always be the most powerful witness that we can give to other people. You know. You can recite to someone, you know, I know someone who's been through this or that, but God's done amazing thing in all, all of our lives. You know, we all have a God story. We all have a story of darkness and the light that is in us now. You know, this is going to be the most powerful thing for us. You know, and in verse 17, Peter recalls the transfiguration that's um, in Mark 9. And, you know, we notice that you know, they heard the audible word of God and they saw 
the transfigura transfiguration of Jesus. But, you know, notice that Peter and James and John didn't walk away from that amazingly changed. If, if I'm right, I remember they, they came down and they said, you know, let's build a tabernacle. I mean, they were, they were way off base for where, what was really going on. And, you know, and of course, it's, it's our, kind of our favorite thing to look at the apostles and see them as these bumbling idiots. And, you know, it's pretty easy for us to do when we have the whole story and we know what the end is. But, you know, in all fairness, what we have that they don't have is the Holy Spirit, right? They didn't get that till Pentecost in the upper room. And, you know, that's what's going to give you power. They heard the audible word of God and they walked the earth with Jesus. And that changed them a little bit. But the Holy Spirit is what really changed them. And that's, that's a great message for us. We have access to that spirit. We have access to be changed, to have those ingredients to be fruitful in our lives that other people will see us and say, wow, he's, he's like God, you know. Again, it's not about us. It's God's power in us. So let's go on to verse 18. And we'll end up here in 18 and 19. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and, and the morning star arises in your hearts. So it says... You do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place. You know, if you imagine that picture in your mind, a lamp, one lamp shining in a dark room, it really shouldn't be that hard to pay attention to that light, right? I mean, what else are you going to look at in the light in that room? If the room is dark, there's nothing to see. But if there's a lamp, one lamp on, the only thing there is to look at is that lamp and what it's illuminating it. You know, why is that so hard for us to heed? You know, that's... That's our flesh. That's our old man that doesn't want to heed to that light. Um, you know, we often think that, you know, we see light and dark, black and white. You know, we think that's an opposite. But light and dark are not opposite. You know, if you have pitch black, dark sky or a dark room and you have one little light, can you see that little light? You know, absolutely. But if you have a bright room like this, if we could make a little black hole the size of a pin and put it over there on the wall, could you, would that stick out at all? You know, it wouldn't because the light is greater than the darkness. And God, you know, they, the Bible says God is light. You know, he is greater than that darkness and we can have that light in us. So we have the recipe. We have the ingredients for fruitful life. Um, we have brothers and sisters in Christ to stir us up and to remind us. And again, as Peter said, we need to remind each other of these things. We need to be diligent. Um, I also want us to note that the tone of this letter wasn't, um, in the first chapter that we see here, it, was, it wasn't one of scorning or of, you know, you guys are so sinful, you need to be diligent, you need to have self-control. You know, he's encouraging them. He's trying to build them up to, to live better lives for Christ. And, you know, that's... That's what I hope I'm doing here tonight is to say, you know, let's look at our lives. Is there change that God wants to see in us and me? Um, and that's between you and God. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily our job to, to see the sin in your lives or to sniff that out. But I just hope that we can take a look at our lives and see, do we have those ingredients? And seek godly brothers and sisters if you need help. You know, ask for prayer. 
Um, we don't want this to just be another recipe in our recipe box, just the uh, ingredients that are the same ingredients as all the things in our cupboard, you know. God's saying, these are things that I want to see in you. And the good news is it's not by our power. You know, he's giving us the power to do these things. So um, that's all I had for you tonight. A little shorter than, than I hoped. I think Fritz is going to do a, another song here, but let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We just thank you for the, the truths that you share with us, Lord. We just pray that we can be changed, Lord, by your word, that, that we would have diligence in our lives to live for you, that your spirit would fill us, Lord, that we can be a light in a dark place, that we can shine in all the different places we are, in our jobs, in our homes, Lord. We just pray that as we, as we sing and as we end, we just pray for brotherly kindness to be abundant in our fellowship as we stay in fellowship and enjoy um, your presence in us as we spend time with each other, Lord. Just thank you for the many blessings we have, Lord. We just give you all the glory, and we pray in your name. Amen.
sacrifice you made for each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, may we leave this place in your spirit, Lord, and may we worship you in truth. Lord, um, like Corey said, Lord, may we be a light for you. Lord, may we be salt, Lord, uh, a flavoring in a world that has no flavor. Lord, uh, go, go with us, Lord, and may we show the fruits of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.